Roder Anskeid? Ja. Det er deg, ja. Ja. Så bra, ok. Ja, hei du. Hei du. Ja. Ja, hva gjelder det? Ja, det er denne her. Ja, vil du sitte? Takk. Ja. Jaha. Ja, så den, jeg har ikke fått gjort noen ting hele formiddag, ja. Nei, jeg beklager at det tar tid, altså, skjønner vi holder på å legge om til et helt nytt system, og da skal alle ha hjelp på en gang, vet du. Ja, ja. Så du kommer ikke unge midten, eller? Nei, den bare ligger der. Ok, har du forsøkt å åpne den? Ja, åpne den, altså, hvis det hadde vært så enkelt, så hadde jeg jo ikke tilkalt helpdesk, hadde jeg vel? Nei, det er sant. Nei, nei. Vil du ha en spant, hva? Nei, det skal være fort gjort, det er ikke å se. Du bare gjør der. Sånn, da er vi i gang. Ja, altså, så langt kom jeg også. Ok. Men så stoppet det opp, og så var jeg redd for at noe av teksten skulle forsvinne, så jeg turte ikke å gå videre. Åja, ok. Nei, men du skjønner at inni her, så ligger det kanskje flere hundre sider med lagret tekst. Så for å komme videre, så tar du tak i ett og ett ark, på den måten her, og så blar du over på neste side, sånn. Da fortsetter teksten der. Jeg blar, altså? Du blar, ja. Men når jeg skal tilbake da? Nei, da bare blar du tilbake igjen. Ta tak der, og så gjør du sånn. Der, så er du tilbake til den teksten du hadde sagt. Ok, så den slutter der, og så fortsetter den der, ja. Ok, men når jeg skal avslutte for dagen, hva gjør jeg da? Da bare slår du sammen permene. Ja. På den måten der. Sånn. Da er den lukket der, ligger alt lagret inni der. Altså, jeg risikerer ikke å miste noe av teksten her nå, altså. Alt ligger lagret inni her nå, men i tilfellet setter fyr på hele greia, det er kanskje litt sannsynlig. Ja, ok. Nei, men for det er noe med det at når du har holdt på med skriftruller, så tar det litt tid å konvertere til å bla i en bøk. Ja, ok. 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 Ja, men du, en ting før du går. Jeg må bare gå gjennom en gang til. Altså, jeg åpner sånn, og så, hva du kalte det? Blar. Jeg blar. Blar i det. Blar frem og tilbake. Ja, ligger der helt. Og når jeg er ferdig, så bare lukker jeg den. Flott. Kjempefint. Nei, men du, vei, vei, vei. Ikke sant? Nå er den sånn igjen, nå får jeg ikke åpne den. Du har ikke feil siden. Du har ikke åpnet med å åpne fra andre siden. Så det er ikke likegyldig det, altså? Nei, åpne fra den siden der. Sånn. Der. Der er den åpnet. Ja, vel. Har du lest manualen, eller? Manualen? Det skal følge med som manualen, så brukeveiledning. Det er sikkert den der. Der vet du. Åja, den ja. I den står alt sammen. Ja, ja, men ikke sant, der har du samme problemet. Får den ikke opp? Ok, det skulle vi kanskje tenke på. Well, I thought you would enjoy that. I got a kick out of that, certainly. And so this morning, I want to be your help desk, all right? in regards to navigating our way through this incredible book um, that God has provided to us. Uh, really a wonderful opportunity for us to understand what it is that He has to say to us. We're in this series um, focused on the passage, the prayer of Paul in, in Philippians chapter 1, where he prays that we would be able to discern what is best. And uh, what he does to help us to discern what is best is help us to understand the position that we need to be in in order to effectively hear from him, in order that we might listen to the Lord. And then there's some tools along the way. So let me just back up a little bit if you're joining us recently in this. And if you have been with us the whole time, I just simply want to remind us of some of the things that we've covered here. When Paul hopes and prays that God's people would be able to discern what is best. There, there are some needs in that. One is to be in a position to listen. I, first of all, place myself under his authority. I am his servant. I am his slave. He is Lord. He is the one who is king. 
He's the one who is in charge. So if I am going to discern what is best, I will acknowledge he's the one that knows. And I place myself in a, in a, in a position under his authority. The second thing we talked about in week two was a resolve to develop the ability to learn and to understand and to hear more and more clearly. A child, an infant, can't completely understand what is being said to them. There's a, there's a means uh, by which they learn how to hear and discern what's being said. And the same is true for us in our walk with the Lord. This is a process of us learning to understand what it is that God is saying to us. And we make a commitment. God, I will continue to hear your voice uh, and to act accordingly. And sometimes I've discovered in my walk with the Lord that what I thought was his voice wasn't, and it doesn't go the way I thought it would. And then there are those times when I have this sense that God is calling me, asking me, inviting me into something, and I act, and afterwards I say, or friends of mine say, that's exactly what God wanted you to do. And there's a celebration that I actually did hear what God had for me. The third week we talked about our commitment to live with a perspective of joy and trust that we don't operate with a spirit of fear. We don't have to be anxious or nervous about it. God is going to supply every need we have and every day that comes along is a day that the Lord has made and we can rejoice and be glad in it. We don't have to be filled with anxiety. God's got everything under control. In week four, we talked about our call to live a life not only under his authority, but a life that was consecrated to him, a life of holiness, a distinctive walk with the Lord, a distinctive manner of living in the world. And every time I hear God's voice, I can expect that, that he will call me to choices that aren't the choices that others would make, that aren't the choices that come from the pressure of my peer group, that aren't the choices that are rooted in my personal bias, but they're actually the choices that he has for me to live a life that is distinctively different than the life I lived before. Last Sunday morning, Cabot shared with us the power of prayer as one of those means by which God communicates with us. It's not just simply that we pray the Lord's Prayer, whatever it might be, that prayer we learned as a kid around the breakfast table or the lunch table or at bedtime, but it's a spirit of prayer where we actually speak with God and we listen to what God has to say to us. In our small group this past week, we had a great time talking about the prayers that Cabot invited many of us to be able to step into and pray over the course of this series that just remind us of the things that matter to God and help us to hear the things that God wants to say to us. So this morning I want us to talk about a second means by which God communicates with us. Prayer is the first God's Word, Scripture, is the second. This book is more than a historical book. It's more than an inspirational book. It's actually described as the written Word of God. It is God's Word to us. Jesus, in fact, viewed God's Word as authoritative. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and Satan wanted to do anything he could to subvert Christ's plans and the Father's plans for Christ's life? And in the midst of one temptation after another, repeatedly Jesus came back and replied and rebuffed Satan by saying, it is written. It is written. And he appealed to the authority 
of what God's word was. It was a guide for him in the midst of the pressures placed on him. If it was a guide for Jesus in the midst of the pressures placed on him, it makes sense that God would give it to us as a guide for us in the midst of the pressures placed on us. And so we want to look at it this morning in terms of its importance and its impact for us. It was authoritative for Jesus, and we see writer after writer in the Bible that recognizes it with the same authority. Paul saw it as authoritative, as we'll see here. The writer to the Hebrews saw this book we hold in our hands as authoritative. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews described it as the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and it pierces in to divide, to do surgery on a person's heart. It has that much authority, that much power. Peter says the same thing, and the psalmist, as we'll look at today, recognize the same thing. Scripture is the written Word of God. It means it's authoritative. It means it's the final word. It means if you're playing a game of cards, it's the trump. That's what it is. When Trump comes out in a game of cards, all of the other suits don't matter anymore because Trump is on the table. And that's the same way it is with God's Word. When God's Word speaks to an issue, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what my bias was. What matters is what God says. And my call as a servant of the Lord to be able to follow that Word. It has that much power it has that much authority. This is one of the reasons why in our heritage as a denomination, I love this about the Covenant Church, is a bunch of Swedes. I don't, was that Swedish or not in there? I, I, don't, I don't know what that was, but some other language. Swedish is going to be spoken in heaven. That's what my grandma always told me. But these Swedes got together, and they were part of a state church, and it was a remarkable, it was a remarkable um, uh, part of the government, and they said it actually should be a part of our life. And they got together and they said, we're going, to, we're going to gather together in small groups and we'll ask two questions. The first question is this, where is it written? The second was, was how goes your walk? And that sense of what they came to this denomination with, of the pietistic, say, my, what happens in my life matters uh, in my Christianity. But the other part of it was, you can, you can say whatever you want to, but here's the final question, where is it written in here? Show me that God's word says that or it characterizes God in that way. Show, show it to me in this book and then I'll believe it. So fervent were those early uh, covenanters in regards to the authority of God's word that they decided that when they de finally came together to be denomination, kicking and screaming, I love these Swedes, uh, they just didn't want to be another organization. They actually resisted being a denomination for quite some time and then realized some way it was better for them to be together. Uh, when they got together, they said, we will have no doctrinal statement. Isn't that crazy? I mean, every Christian organization you know has a doctrinal statement. The covenant decided not to have it because it's this. <laughs> and so there are, there are creeds that... Um, are used and their affirmations, covenant affirmations along the way. But it actually shaped the denomination from its earliest days. It's going to be the book. And that's actually what God intends for all of us. What does, what does the book say? And it, over and over again, a scripture says to meditate on it, to study it, to teach it to your children, uh, to reflect on it, because it has 
not only authority, but it has the ability to shape a life in the ways that it best be shaped. So there's a celebration of the power of this book in Psalm 119. I had a friend of mine who was preaching through the Psalms in Sunday night services. It was back in those days. And every Sunday night, they would read the Scripture first before they would preach on it. If you read Psalm 119, you're 15 minutes into the sermon, actually. So we're not going to do that. But I would invite you to take a look at it during the course of this week. It is an acrostic psalm. That means that it begins with the letter A, and the first set of stanzas of eight verses, every one of those verses begins with the Hebrew letter A or Aleph. Uh, So it's a a beautiful poem, and it's just this thoughtfully constructed piece. And so section after section, eight verses after eight verses, it becomes an alphabet of prayers and reflections on the Word of God, giving each Hebrew letter its turn to introduce eight successive verses on the subject of the importance of God's Word. And it's described some, in some of the verses as law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, word, promise. You'll see all of them. In fact, in every verse but two, and even this question in regards to whether it's a reference to the Lord when it talks about His faithfulness or His name or His ways, in every one of those verses there is a reference to the importance of God's Word. This is more than the Ten Commandments, so when you see the word law, don't assume it simply means the Ten Commandments. It is a reference point to the book, to all of the book, and the dimensions of a book that point us upwards towards God to get to know what He is like, that point us inwards into our lives, that remind us of of what we're like and what we're like together as individuals and what we're like together as God's people and community and outward into the world to remind us of what the world is like and God's heart for the world. That's what it does. It points us in three directions, upwards towards God and His glory and His beauty and His character, inward towards us and His call on our life and His invitation to change our lives, and then outward to the world. He, he shows us what the world is like. We read this book and we actually can clear-sightedly see the world through God's eyes and be able to operate accordingly. That's, that's what it's about. It tells us the truth about God, about our world and our lives and our need for God. This is an anthem to its value, and it's a treasure. Look with me again at, at verse, uh, Psalm 119, verses 9 and following. How can a young person stay pure on the path? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. And over and over again, there's just a sense of how precious it is that is actually a treasure. As you read through the verses, you'll see this description as God's word, something that brings delight. And these expressions of love and passion for God's word by people who have read it and applied it and used it. In statements of absolute awe, it is true, it is true, it is true. All of those aspects of it. Open my eyes that I may see the wondrous things in your law, it says in verse 18. There is something so precious about this book. Let me put it another way for you. I've got a a couple of objects up here. Here's a candle. It looks like it's almost ready to go out, but it's still burning. It's kind of hot. And here's here's a hammer. And here's a, a knife. 
And uh, let me just add something else to the mix here. I'll put a, I'll put a credit card. One that's got some cash available on it. There. Right? There's, there's, there, there, there's a credit card right there. Now, tell me what is similar about all four of these things. A flame, a knife, a hammer, and, uh, and money. They all what? They all can hurt you. That's true, isn't it? I mean, you say to a little kid, watch out for these things, right? And let me do, give you a little bit of coaching before you actually use these things. Anything else about it? They're tools. They're actually pretty valuable tools, aren't they? you got a problem, it'd be nicer to have a hammer or knife than a, a stick or a piece of paper, right? And they're, they're actually, every single one of them, uh, you would want to have if you were in some type of a crisis, right? Now, something else is true about all four of these things. They're actually used as descriptors of what God's Word is. God's Word is a hammer, it says in Jeremiah. God's Word is, is better than gold and silver. God's Word is a flame. God's Word is a knife that pierces in, as it says in Hebrews chapter 4. You see, isn't that interesting? God's Word is just like the things we just talked about. It can hurt you if you don't use it right. And we've seen plenty of those stories, haven't we? And people who will take and uh, use God's Word in a way that was never intended to be used. Uh, I'm actually having a lot of fun with a group and we're teaching a class on how do you actually interpret and carefully use God's Word. And it's been a really fun group to be part of. But that's, that's the part of we need to learn to do it. The other part of it is, is that if used appropriately, it is powerful. And that's what God wants for you and for me. He wants you to use this like you would use effectively for a project, a hammer or a knife or a flame or, or gold and silver. That's what he says. This is, this is the written word of God. And it is valuable for all kinds of things. In fact, it is valuable in helping us to be able to discern what is best. So that's how it's described here. And part of the reason why it has such power isn't just simply because it's words on a page, but God says that when he uses his word alongside of his Holy Spirit, because that's the pairing, actually, there is the word of God and there is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, alongside of the word of God, gives us the ability to understand what it is about. In fact, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it talks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. I, I, just, I have some time here. I'm going to just read to you um, some of what it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about what the Holy Spirit is able to do. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So you say, man, it's way too deep for me. Guess what? The Holy Spirit searches the deep things of God for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. This is why when you come to faith in Christ, this book that you read and it seemed to be such a puzzle beforehand, all of a sudden the light bulbs begin to go off and you see things that you never could see before. Because it's real. When we invite God into our life, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We're absolutely transformed. And the Holy Spirit then does teaching. It goes on to say, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God 
has freely given to us. And the text goes on, but it just reminds us of this power of God's Word and the Holy Spirit together, making it the written Word of God. Now, there's another aspect of this that I want us to grasp before we go to applications. It's this, that Scripture not only is the written Word of God, but Scripture was intended to give us relevant instruction for life. Scripture contains relevant instruction for life. This is my guide for life. When Jesus used it and he said to Satan, it is written, he was not having a philosophical discussion. He was in the middle of a crisis point and he needed to take it out and let it guide him and instruct Satan as well. That's what it's meant for. It's meant for life. Verses 25 through 32 describe the realities of life in Psalm 119. And in it we read these words, I am laid low in the dust, preserve my life according to your word. And it goes on and on and we realize that the beauty of this book is it applies to the difficulties of my life. When I'm eating dust, your word is what will help me. When my life is in jeopardy, your word is what will guide me. When I'm filled with sorrow, your word is what will guide me and will encourage me along the way. When I'm tempted to lie, it actually says in that section, your word is the thing that will guide me. When there's a path in front of me and I'm going to have to discern one way or the other, guess what? The wisdom of your word will actually help me with that problem. You say, well, it was written 2,000 years ago. Yes, it was, but it was written... And it was connected with the power of the Holy Spirit to help me to understand what it means for my life now. That's what he does. It's just incredibly uh, a beautiful gift that God gives us to help you to discern the way forward. And that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want us to lead a life with a paper bag over our head in a dark room, stumbling over one thing after another. He actually wants you to discern what is best. And he will use his word to accomplish it. In chapter 119, verse 25, it says, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. And the reference to statutes here is a reference to the application of those statutes in a person's life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 17, and many of you have probably heard this before, but this is just a really remarkable and encouraging thing too. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in 14, we read this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know from, what you, from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is useful, not so that you can win a debate or plunge into a philosophical discussion, but so that you can actually be equipped for every good work. <laughs> That's the book. That's the written word of God intended, intended to be relevant instruction for life. There are many examples of the way that God has used his book in so many stories. I, I know personally, Beth and I had just gotten married and 
we had a car that my dad had essentially given us, dirt cheap given us, and it was just on its last legs. And we decided we were going to trade it in, and there was this great deal on a vehicle at a, at a, a car dealership. And uh, so I went in on Saturday and uh, worked a deal. And there was something wrong with the car that I was trying to trade in. And uh, we lined everything up and it was going to come back on Monday morning and uh, sign the paperwork and, and walk out the door with a, a new-to-us car. And on Sunday, the pastor talked on deceit. It had some relevance to me. And uh, Beth and I prayed about it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't, uh, it, it was it's just about as obvious to us as it is when I'm describing it now. But God's word said something to me and protected me from what I didn't want to be. Uh, and because it has authority and because I'm a servant, then I function accordingly. And I walked in and I, told the guy, I said, you know what? I didn't tell you about something. He thought I was crazy. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. And this book is so precious. There were some people in our Alpha group last time we did it in the winter that was talking about opening up God's Word in the middle of a crisis with somebody in their family who was going through a very, very difficult time. And as they were reading God's word, these verses and these truths about God and about life just came, came like, just stood out from the page. And that person knew, I know exactly what my friend needs to hear. And shared those words with a friend, and it was like God was just doing the whole thing. It was. It was exactly what their friend needed to know that guided them through the turmoil that their life was in at the time. You see, that's what God intends. <laughs> we open it up and we read it, and, it, and it, it, it hits the mark. You know, there are some stories that maybe some of you know. You remember when Martin Luther was reading the Scripture and just, just bounced off the page, the just shall live by faith. And it transformed his understanding of God and what it meant to walk with the Lord. And we know the story of the impact it had. Now, that's Martin Luther, but there are stories of many of you in this congregation where you'd say, you know what, I was, I was just reading my Bible this morning and out popped exactly what I needed to hear. It, it, it is an essential guide for life. And because of that, it is also an essential part of our Christian life. God intends it to be so. Jesus spent time with the Lord on a daily basis. And if Jesus was doing that, we should. And it's more than just simply a, a, a prayer of quiet, but it's, it's listening to what God's Word has to say to us on a particular day or a particular moment. If Scripture is a tool for discernment, the question is, how then should we use it? And the first answer to that is habitually habitually. God intends for us to open and read his word habitually. Just, just as habitually as we brush our teeth, as we take a shower, as we eat food. Thy words were found and I did eat them, right in the Old Testament says. It's, it's that part of our life. I want to give you three hours that I hope will guide you 
And small groups will actually give you a little more help in the way. You know, you've heard of reading, writing, and arithmetic. I never could quite figure that one out. But, but these are three legit R's. Uh, the first one is this, request. Ask for the Spirit's assistant. assistance. As you open God's Word, request. Say, I don't want to read this just as a book. I want you, Holy Spirit, to speak into my lives and help me to understand what this is about. I was actually reading my scripture this morning, and I'm going through the Bible, and uh, I'm in Exodus, the end of it, and there's this uh, compilation of all of this stuff that I just thought, Lord, I don't have a clue what in the world I'm reading this for this morning. And it was talking about the way God designed the temple and all of the care he gave to those who were leading the temple and those who had built the temple, and it was just this important place. And then you know what I did? I walked into church. And there are those of us that are leading and those of us that built this and realized this is a big deal. For us to be in this place worshiping the Lord and us to be prepared to worship the Lord, it matters a lot to the Lord. And you see, I think God does that with us. He just, and I needed to know that this morning. Uh, and God does those kinds of things. So request, request that the Holy Spirit speak to you in the context of what it is um, that you're reading. The second R is this, read, to establish a habit of reading. You know, you look at this book and you say, my goodness, that is a big book. I mean, do you, let's just, for those of you who know, don't tell. For those of you that don't want to be uh, considered foolish, you might want to be quiet too. But how, many, how many hours do you think it would take to read this book? couple hundred you know what you know it, it would take 72 hours to read cover to cover this book you know why I know that books on tape <laughs> 72 hours of tape and they read really slow <laughs> you can do it 72 hours divide that up over 365 days what are you looking at? You see, don't be intimidated by the, the looks of the thing. It is not that difficult to be able to do it. And sometimes, I, recently I, I read through it, and I read through it at a, at a really rapid pace because I just wanted to kind of get the big chunks, and, and it didn't really take that long at all. Or this year, it's spread out over 365 days. So read, to, to request that the Holy Spirit uh, be part of with you. And secondly, to read. And then the third R is this, to reflect, to build in times for meditation. It talks about that in the text we read, uh, to just meditate on it. And to, in, in verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. In verse 27, it says, cause me to understand the ways of your precepts that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. That's actually time that we spend in reflection. We're going to introduce a meditation tool for you in small groups that we hope will help you with it. But in the course of meditation, look three ways. God, what do, you, what do you want me to know about you? God, what do you want me to know about me? God, what do you want me to know about the world and the people and the circumstances around me? To just give, spend some time to meditate and mold it over. One other really valuable tool in meditation is memorization. 
is memorization. And you know, a number of years ago, we actually picked a section of Scripture, and this was part of that More 3 series from a long time ago. We're actually going to get rid of these. But they're right now this morning on the kiosk uh, back in that area there with some really wonderful Scriptures that maybe you, me- you memorized a couple of years ago when we did it and want to bring it back in. But the value of memorization is that you can think about it when you're running or when you're on a treadmill or when you're going someplace or when you're in the middle of praying and you're not sure what to pray about. Uh, to meditate on God's Word that way. Um, so here's my one question for you. What difference will it make that you came this morning in regards to this? In regards to the significance of God's Word and God's longing to be able to give you the ability to discern what is best using His Word, what will you do about it? What will you do? As we're wrapping up, I just want to share a story about my brother. I, wanna, there's a, I hope there's a picture up there. My, my brother actually died just this past year uh, in, in April. He'd been 23 years paralyzed. On the left, there's, on the right, there's a picture of my brother. You know, those are the back of the days where you kind of you know, did that with your hair in the middle. So this is way throwback. But you get an idea of what kind of a character Mike was. And he was a, a sheriff's deputy, and he drove those cars really fast. He's got a couple of wrecks that he could uh, tell us about. And then, and then he was, Mike was shot back in 91, and he was paralyzed. The bullet went through his chin, and he was in a wheelchair that he controlled by a sip-and-puff device, uh, a little, a little straw that went to a device, and he had this wheelchair that he would wheel around in. And uh, you get a sense of Mike's sense of humor. He had some guys kind of put this one together where he would be rolling down the street on his wheelchair and uh, carted it 26 miles an hour. <laughs> wheelchair never went that fast, but it was a little bit of a trick. But you get some sort of a sense of, of his sense of humor. You know, when Mike was shot, we thought, everybody shot, thought his life was over. Uh, that it would just be bleak, dismal, and, and it would be depressing to talk to Mike. Uh, and it wasn't. Uh, God gave Mike 23 extraordinary years, actually, for us and for himself and for the people that he had an impact on. And his ability to take his life, where his, only his, uh, from his neck up did his body work, could he control it, be able to take that life and use it, was just extraordinary. I want to tell you, a year before Mike was shot, about a conversation Mike and I had. Mike was really struggling. Being a police officer, in some ways, is just a horrible thing. You see bad stuff. And it was messing Mike up. I mean, his cynicism was sky high. His attitude was just, I mean, it, it was, he was just really struggling with his walk with the Lord. And I said, Mike, are you, what, what are you doing to kind of counteract that? And he says, I just don't have any, any time. I said, Mike, Mike, Mike. Uh, the best thing, the best thing God, God has for us is that we just spend some time with him every day. And I sent him a devotional guide with scripture verses for him to be able to read and, and study. And, and uh, he worked that. He worked that for, for a year. Uh, and it turned him around. And when Mike was shot, he had a capacity to be able to handle the circumstances in front of him like he wouldn't have been able to had he not spent that time getting to know who God is, who he is, and what the world is about. You see, God's intent through his word is to prepare us for the future. Now, I'm not saying, watch out, if you study the Bible, you're going to get shot a year from now. 
But I'm saying this. You don't know what's going to happen a year from now, do you? You don't know what's going to happen with your kids. You don't know what's going to happen with your health. You don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. God actually wants to be preparing you right now, not only for the things that you know you need wisdom on discerning what is best, but for the stuff you don't even know about yet. And so what does God do? He gives us this. And he says, take it. And let this be the means by which our relationship grows deeper and deeper and deeper. Would you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you so much that you are a speaking God and that you even this morning have said something to uh, everybody in this room. Lord, help us to know now what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.